Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is Executive Director of Socially Disadvantaged Farmers and Ranchers Policy Research Center, Ms. Elora Spate. Thank you for joining Thank you. First of all, I, I, I wanted to say how I got your, your information. It was from um, Ms. Sherland, Ms. Sherland Finner. We was having a conversation about um, farming because we both, I think we both saw this special CNN and they was talking about black farmers. And I was telling her I wanted to have this conversation and she recommended you would be the person, perfect person to have it with. So I thank you for doing this. Okay. So how did you get involved with, with this, with the um, socially disadvantaged farmers and research, pharmacy, socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers policy research center? How'd you get involved with it? Um, well, the, and we call it the policy center, right? The, the official name is socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers policy research center located at Alcorn State University. And so the policy center was authorized in the 2014 Farm Bill. And the Farm Bill specified that it was to be located at one of the 191890 universities. And so Alcorn State University, located in Norman, Mississippi, then was the successful grantee in response to a request for proposals by um, the United States Department of Agriculture. Um, and so uh, once the authorization was there, then Alcorn State University reached out um, and I um, accepted a position there as the executive director. And I was asked to come in and actually stand up, if you will, the policy center. Um, and so I did that. Um, now, the reason, one of the reasons then um, I actually retired um, as a senior executive service member from the uh, from USDA. Um, and so I was very familiar um, with agriculture. Um, I also, growing up, spent my summers on my grandparents' farm in um, North Carolina, if you will. So that was my ag background. And then I had to Washington, D.C., um, background. So it just was a, it was a good fit. And so um, it started out, it was really about 20 years in the making. The concept, uh, there was a concept paper that was written 20 years ago to establish a policy center for Black farmers. There were challenges getting it in the farm bill until it was expanded to include um, all minority farmers, if you will. So, i.e., the term socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. Now, you said you you um you grew up working on a farm. Was that did you always want to work with the USDA because of your background working on the farm? No, <laughs> um, no. I started my career at Fannie Mae, so my um, undergrad and master's was in accounting and finance. Um, but I had, um, I knew individuals that worked at USDA and actually through a formal, an informal conversation, um, I found out about the um, 
a opportunity at USDA. And so that's how I ended up. I was on the administrative side. So I, I joined USA, USDA and specifically the Natural Resources Conservation Service or NRCS um, on the administrative side. I was a um, in human resources. Did that, but did your, did your background, did your background growing up on the farm, did it, did it give you a passion or excitement to take this job? Or? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, you asked me, <laughs> no, um, like I said, I was asked to do it primarily for my, because of my uh, project management skills and my relationship management skills. And so when I was in human resources at USDA, I often uh, ran focus groups, um, both employees um, and farmers, and so, um, and especially minority farmers. And so I started hearing some of the same issues and the challenges that minority farmers and especially black farmers. And so that kind of um, excited my passion, my passion, if you will. So what I would like to do is to be able to move the needle for minority farmers. And like I said, especially black farmers. Growing up, did your, did your grandparents talk about the challenges they faced as being black farmers? No, no. My, my um, grandparents were um, probably a little bit unique. And so you know, we didn't have some of the challenges that um, some of the black farmers face today. Mm. So what, why were they so unique? Because hmm. um, my great-great-grandfather was white, and so that's how my grandfather um, got his farm. So so a little oh. bit, so, my, so a little different, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But he, but was your grand, but your grandfather's was black though, right? Or my... you know, he was black. My grandfather was black, but he could pass for white. And so I say uh, that because, so he didn't have some of the challenges that um, some of the other uh, farmers faced. Black oh, okay. Faced. okay, okay. Mm -hmm. okay. So he could, but I'm very familiar with him, right? Mm -hmm. Wow. So do you think it's enough, do you think it's enough attention being paid? Because I I like I said, I only became familiar with the story from CNN. Do you think it's enough attention to the struggle that black farmers face? Um, I don't know. There's a lot of attention on it now. Um, and some have been fighting for years. One of the reasons at the policy center, if you will, um, that we have prioritized black farmers. Um, over other minority farmers is because Black farmers are the only group that is declining in numbers. In 1920, uh, 1910, um, Black farmers accounted for, there was over a million Black farmers in the United States, and they represented roughly 14% of the agricultural population. Uh, during that same time, Blacks were roughly 14% of the U.S. population. Today, um, Blacks are still roughly 14% of the U.S. economy, 
but black farmers represent less than 2% of all um, farmers. And so if, if there's not some intervention done, black farmers will become extinct. And so that is the challenge is to ensure that there is um, there are interventions to prevent black farmers from becoming extinct. Is there a reason for the decline in numbers? Oh, there there are a number of reasons, um, starting with uh, racism, you know, in in the country back during you know Jim Crow um, era. And then, you know, the um, long USDA has a long history of discriminating, especially against Black farmers. And so those have contributed to the decline in Black farmers. Another reason for the decline relates to heirs' property. And so um, I don't know if you're familiar with heirs' property, but heirs' property occurs um, when then um, property, if you will, is transferred uh, without a will. Uh, when there is no will or deed, uh, the, um, the heirs inherit, if you will, the farm, but they don't receive title to it. And after three or four generations, the number of heirs continues to increase and it's, it is often challenging to get agreement among all of the heirs, you know, to the, the property. And so that causes challenges and some just walk away um, and some lose it through um, partition sales or tax sales. What about like, do, do the government like raise the taxes on the land and make it where it's not affordable? No, I mean, that's not, you know, no, that's that's not the issue because often the uh, black farmers are small, limited resources. So it's not a matter. The, the challenge with the paying of taxes is, like you said, you know, after three or four generations and um, the heirs are all over the, the country. So let's say I've spent my entire, you know, life in Philadelphia I don't have any ties to land that's in North Carolina or Georgia or Alabama or wherever my great great um, grandparents might have been. Um, and so, you know, and maybe my my parents, you know, paid the taxes, but once that generation is lo no longer there, um, there's a challenge of who's going to pay um, the taxes. I mean, that's that's really what happens. So it's not a matter of the, you know, the property values going up and the um, taxes increasing. We, you, you mentioned um, the the declining number of black farmers. It was at 14, um, it was at 14%. Now you said, I believe it's at 2%, correct? Less than 2%, right. There are less than 50,000 um, farmers now. So from 1 million, down to less than 50,000 um, Black farmers in the United States today. How real is the possibility that Black black farmers will become extinct? Well, I mean, again, just look at the trend. Um, you know, a 90-some percent decline 
since 1920. So that, that decline continues. Um, it's a very real, I mean, again, it's down to 2%, less than 2%, and a good number of those 2% um, are struggling to hold on to their um, the land. Has there ever been a has there ever been a point? I mean, even if it was a year or two years, where there was actually an increase of black farmers, or no? Um, I don't know the answer to that. All I know is that since nineteen twenty, there's been a a steady decline. So, I, you know, if there were any increases, they couldn't have been significant. Okay. Do are they are they? We meant you mentioned that most of the farms. Are located in the south. I'm sorry, you didn't. That's on the website. A lot of it is in the south. Do they have any black farms up north? There are some, but the majority are in the um, southeastern states, if you will. So, if you look at Mississippi, Alabama, um, Alabama, uh, Louisiana, and Tennessee, that probably accounts for roughly forty percent. Um, of, of black farmers, then, according to the uh, U.S. Census data, the the um, ag census data. Do the north do the northern farmers experience the same racism? Because you know, I mean, you know, a lot of times people say it's only in the south. Like racism is more prevalent in the south. But do the black farmers up north do they experience the same racism in uh, trials and tribulations as the southern black farmers? Uh, okay, I'm gonna turn around. So you are from Maryland, right? Which is in the north. Do you experience? Have you ever experienced racism? Oh, of course. Well, right. actually, Maryland is considered the South, though. So, well, it depends on what you consider. Like I said, the South. Then, um, so if you're talking um, the further north you go, probably the less. Um, black farmers that you have. So I, I can't speak to that. I don't know. Okay. One, one of the things I've read on the website, um, there was a, a 2018 farm bill. What was the difference between that one and the one in 2014? Well, there's a new farm bill at roughly every five years. Um, and so the farm bill is the vehicle um, by which um, agriculture, um, the policy, the administrative policies and laws um, related to agriculture is um, the Farm Bill. And so there is a new Farm Bill every five years. Is, 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 what's the reason for every five years? Because it expires. I mean, that's that's the only, that's the term of, you um, know, um, right, the law. So when they they when they did the 2014 farm bill, um, it was it was scheduled to expire in 2018. So now um, 2023 farm bill is the current farm bill um, that is being drafted um, because, the 2018 Farm Bill will expire come um, October 31st of this year, 2023. Oh, wow. Correct. Is, is there a chance that it doesn't pass? Well, 
Um, I'm going to say no. I mean, it may not pass by October I mean, or September 30th, the end of the federal fiscal year. Um, but they will, I mean, it's kind of like the government, um, the fear of government shutdown. So there, pro there will be probably vehicles in place then that will um, a, a continuing resolution or whatever that will it will ex extend it for um, a brief period of time. But it has to be passed at some front. In fact, um, they even call it a farm bill is probably a misnomer. Mis you know, um, the majority of the dollars in the farm bill are really associated with food um, and nutrition services, if you will. So food stamps. Uh, and so without a farm bill, it is a farm bill that authorizes um, food, steps, food stamps and other uh, farm to, to table, uh, farm to school, all of those programs, school nutritional programs are all funded out of what is known as the farm bill. So no, there is not an option not to have a farm bill. Oh, wow. So you said, wow, so food stamps and food stamps falls under the farm bill? It, it certainly does. In fact, that's why I say, you know, it, the farm bill is probably the smallest portion of, or um, of the smallest portion of the farm bill, if you will, actually specifically relates to farming. Um, the majority is again as food and nutrition. Now, do do the do the government do they actually they vote on this bill or is this automatically passes? Like no, there's no automatic passes. That's why both the um, Senate and the House um, both draft the bills and then they compare it, and so it has to pass. Um, in both in order for there to be um, an executed farm bill. I'm not I'm not sure if you know this um, answer, but I'm asking anyway. It, what does the vote typically look like? Is it is it a landslide? Is it a close vote? Um, usually, you know, that, I mean, that's again, that's difficult to say. It probably depends on the administration, who's in office, what year. Uh, so it's a lot of things. It's like anything else in politics, right? Mm. Whose agenda, who's pushing it? Is there fear that it doesn't pass? I, you know, in the long term, I don't think that that's an option. You know, it's no more than, you know, the government than not having a budget indefinitely. You know, it might happen in the short term, but in the long term, that's not an option. Okay. But if it wasn't a pass, if if that bill wasn't a pass, could it actually eliminate black farmers totally? Well, it's not the farm bill that's going to eliminate it. I mean, like I said, they probably release they probably receive the least amount of funding. So, um, no, that that's not what's going to contribute. The, the not passing the farm bill is not going to contribute. There's some, like as I said, there are some. Some a whole lot more um, issues, and including um, USDA receives the majority of its funding through the Farm Bill. Man, 
this is mm. is there the reason so the the location is in um mississippi and i guess is that like the i know when i was reading the website that is that kind of like the middle of all the states like they wanted to they wanted a location where like all the middle of the all the states can be like convenient where they can use the research is that accurate no um like i said there was a request for proposals and the 19, 1890 universities and then all had the opportunity, if you will, to um, respond to the request for proposal. So Alcorn State, who, which is the oldest 1890 um, university, um, actually uh, submitted a proposal and they were the successful grantee. So that's why it ended up you know, in Mississippi. Now they certainly receive, or, or we at the Policy Center um, certainly receive quite a bit of support from Congressman Benny Thompson. And so he was instrumental um, in getting the um, Policy Center in the um, Farm Bill, if you will. Him and, and um, Marsha Fudge and, and other Congressional Black Caucus members. Are there any are there any efforts being made to like recruit black farmers or now you say recruit black farmers like um like okay let me okay let me rephrase it so we we have black farmers and maybe like the the their offspring maybe they're not really interested in doing it because of the labor like technology advances just for whatever reason they don't want to be farmers is there any efforts to to like let the upcoming generation know like how important it is for us to have some representation in farming because i'm not even sure we understand that how important this issue is well when you say we so now the the 18 as i mentioned the 19 1890 universities then land grants, um, your historically black land grant colleges, uh, they recruit, they are developing the next generation of agricultural professionals there. So their programs, the large, by and large, the largest program is agriculture at those land grant, those 19 land grant institutions there. And so they are recruiting the next generation, if you will. Um, now in uh, USDA, so one of their priorities is uh, the next generation, if you will. So there are dollars that have been set aside um, to for development of the next generation. So there's money um, targeted for new and beginning farmers and for um, student programs as well. Okay. How long, how long does these, um, I'm assuming there's like a training program for the upcoming farmers, like at Alcorn State and the other universities, is that correct? There's training, there's outreach and, and what is known as technical assistance that's provided by the 1890, um, the land grants, and not only the, the 1890, 1862, so you're predominantly white um, land grants and your 1994 which is your um, Native Americans, if you will, or tribal colleges, um, all have ag programs, if you will. 
Okay. Is it a tip? Is it a typical four year program like college or is it shorter? Is it longer? No, most of them are four year colleges. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there anything that you think the government could do better to help this situation? Oh, there's no question from my perspective. Um, And so there are a number of the Inflation Reduction Act, if you will, that that Congress passed um, uh, last year now, um, initially provided funding for debt relief for minority farmers that was challenged by white males and ultimately put on hold. Um, That was 2005 of the Inflation Reduction Act or the American Relief Plan, if you will. So um, it was repealed, 2005 was repealed in the Inflation Reduction Act and it was replaced by 22007 and 22006. Um, And so, there were two programs, one targeted for distressed borrowers, and the other was for individuals that um, have evidence that they have, they have experienced discrimination from USDA. So neither one of the programs are specifically race-related, um, but both programs then um, were passed to provide to provide relief for um, those individual uh, farmers that are experiencing or distressed, if you will, financial hardships, and for those that have evidence again that there was discrimination in the past. So they, so if they, if there is like discrimination, they can take it to court. They can file a lawsuit, like. No, they don't have to take it to court. Um, they have to provide evidence to USDA. It's a USDA, um, well, Congress specified that USDA was to identify a third party to administer the program. And so it is currently being administered and there's information on both USDA's website. They have a partnered they have actually identified a national administration uh, an administrator and two regional hubs then to administer the program, if you will. There's $2.2 billion um, for related to the discrimination and $3 billion um, for distressed borrowers. So the stress borrowers, a lot of that funding has already been provided um, to distressed borrowers and the discrimination. Um, anyone that has experienced discrimination um, has to fill out an application or can fill out an application. The application period opened uh, what a little bit over a month ago now um, and runs until October 31st of 2023. From your experience, is it hard to prove that discrimination or? Well, I mean, I, you know, I that haven't been part of this program before, but discrimination is hard to prove. Yes, period. You know. Um, and, you know, as examples, what some of the farmers said, you know, if they came to the front door and were ushered out the side door, how are they going to prove that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So there are some challenges to improving it, um, but there is a 40 page application uh, that has been developed uh, by USDA and for uh, farmers to complete. You said 40 pages? That would be correct. <laughs> okay, I'm going to assume this and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. 40, filling out 40 pages to uh, file a, uh, um, a discrimination claim feels like it's a deterrent for you to do it. I mean, I personally think so, but USDA has said that the reason that it is 40 pages is to a number of the pages are so that the individuals can tell their story. Is that, do they have like, do they have someone help them? Like, is there like a, a legal team, like maybe like a black legal team that helps them get through this process, helps them write this, or are you pretty much on your own? Well, no, um, USDA, again, I mentioned the regional hubs. Um, there are two regional hubs that USDA has contracted with um, to, and they are responsible for um, working with cooperators. Um, USDA has identified some partners to provide that outreach and training um, to individual farmers on, you know, how to complete the application and to provide assistance in completing it. Okay. I want to close with this. Um, what would it what would the world look like to you personally without any black farmers? Um, so I'm not gonna say that now I, you know, um I, I think that that is so so that's a I, I know it's a rhetorical question, mm -hmm. but that's kind of like, you know, um if you believe in equity there. I mean, I think that we're all better off um, because of the diversity, you know, of this country. Um, and so if you eliminate, you know, one group, I think that, um, you know, that that goes without saying, then there would be um, a culture that's lost, um, livelihood for certain individuals lost, um, and and so I'm gonna I'm gonna close by and I didn't mention early on, you know, again the reason that the policy center was created was to be a voice for socially disadvantaged farmers, and and secondly to ensure that there was data driven information available, um, and ultimately to advance the success of socially disadvantaged farmers, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so we have a mission to conduct research, analyze policy, and make recommendations seeking to achieve equitable and economic integration of USDA programs and policies for um, socially disadvantaged farmers or minority farmers. And, and I'm going to underscore equity to achieve equitable and economic integration. And I think sometimes individuals don't understand the difference between equity and equality. They are two different terms 
with very different meetings. So equitable means marked by or having equity and implies in the context of fairness or equal treatment. Equal means the same in all respects and refers to any two things which are the same. And I share this because I think that we as a country get those two terms mixed up. And the best I can, you know, share, there's a picture, if you will. So picture that there is a, a father and he has two sons, a toddler and a teenager. They're trying to watch a game. They're standing outside of the fence and watching a baseball game. So if you give, there are three crates. So if you give each one of them equal, if you give each one of them a crate, the toddler stands on that crate, the teenager and the father. So first of all, the father, you know, is six feet tall. And so, you know, he, he can not only see over the fence, you know, he can see probably a mile away. The teenager can barely see and the toddler can't do anything with it. You know, he stands up there and he, he will not even reach to the middle of the fence. Now you take those same three crates and you give two, if you will, to the toddler. Now he can see the game. You give one to the teenager and he can see the game. And the father doesn't need one because he's tall enough to see. That's when you talk about equitable. And so we are striving for equitable treatment then, if you will of all farmers okay love the analogy by the way <laughs> <laughs> i really want to take the time to thank you for doing this um it's been very informative like for me and my listeners i really appreciate it and i wish you all the best with um with re with the research center and just doing what you can to keep for black farmers because it, i don't think we talk about it enough the um the way we're so underrepresented and especially with the food crisis and everything going on. So I personally want to thank you for doing your, the work that you're doing. And I wish you all the best with the continued work you're going to do. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh, before we end, can you tell the people um, like how they can learn more about the, the, um, the research center, where they can study it, like what websites you would recommend? So if you go to Alcorn State University's website, there is a web page for the Policy Center. And you probably see behind me, alcorn.edu slash policy center. Um, and it'll take you directly to the web page there. My contact information is there. And there are um, currently six full-time staff working at the policy center. So we have a policy analyst, a research analyst, um, myself. We have a program um, assistant, if you will, and then a communication specialist and a management analyst. Um, and so the contact information for all of us is on the website. Okay. Well, again, thank you for taking the time to do this, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. I want to also take the time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore Lent. My Facebook is also conversations with Lent. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.